Before we begin our Torah study this evening, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitsheno b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I've never been a person who thinks that whatever happens must be the will of God. That way of thinking has never appealed to me, and it doesn't fit in with what I read in the scriptures. And yet I recognize there are many who think that whatever happens must be what God wants to happen. Today, I want to share with you my way of thinking. I hope it will be useful as we continue our studies in Exodus, and I hope it will be useful to you personally in your everyday life, in your life of faith, in your walk with the Lord. And first of all, I think there is a difference between what God wants and what he allows. And when I think about the will of God, I'm thinking about what God wants. And clearly, a lot happens in this broken world that that is not what God wants. And so it's important for our hearts to be lined up with God. And I want to read to you from two different Psalms, which offer prayers in this direction. The first is from Psalm 19, verse 14, that says in the Hebrew, Yiyu leratzon imri fi legion libi lifanecha adonai tsuri May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And where it's translating the phrase be acceptable to you, it's it's using a Hebrew word, ratzon, uh, as the root, which means um, your will according to what you desire, Lord, what you want. And then Psalm 143, verse 10 says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Learning to do God's will, that becomes our focus. We have a need to learn. And we can need to learn because we don't yet know. However, the focus in Psalm 143, verse 10 is learning to do. It's about being a disciple of the Lord, Lord, learning and doing. It's not just about being a student or a storehouse of information. It's learning and doing. And that reflects integrity. Integrity, in this case, meaning wholeness and congruence and, and wholeness between uh, what we know and what we do and who we know and who we are with the Lord. These two Psalms, I think, humbly acknowledge that there can be a gap um, and that our hearts want integrity with the Lord. And when I say a gap, I mean that there is a difference between uh, what's in our hearts and what we want to be in our hearts and what we do and what we want to do. We want his will to be our will. We want to do what God wants for us and what he considers good and pleasing. We're not just trying to get by. 
or to get away with something. We want to grow in our faith and our faithfulness. And we recognize that we actually need to grow, that there's a defect or an imperfection or some kind of brokenness or immaturity or ignorance or inexperience or whatever. There's something in us and we need to grow. There's something about us, you could say, and we need to grow. And let's look at another prayer with this in mind. Yeshua taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this, and we learn from this that not everything that God wants is actually being done on earth. Another way of saying it is some things that God wants are not being done on earth. And so we have to learn to pray that the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and to offer ourselves for that purpose. God Almighty, the sovereign God, the King of the universe, has made this world in such a way that there is room for us to learn to love him and to learn to do what is pleasing to him and what is good. He's made room for us to exercise responsibility to make decisions, to take actions which have real consequences. We're not just puppets, and everything is not just fatalistic. It's not all decided. God has made room for us to learn to love and to be loved and to demonstrate love, to give love and to receive love. And here's the reality. And it may seem obvious to you, but let me point it out to you because it's so true. All newborns, all newborn humans are dependent on receiving love. We cannot take care of ourselves. We need others to show love and care and compassion to us. And so we all start life needing to receive love from others. In fact, we can't live unless we receive that love. We can't survive unless we receive that love. Here's another aspect of reality. All people receive love from God, and that's why we are able to love others, because he first loves us. 1 John chapter 4 speaks of this in verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And verse 19 goes further and it says, we love because he first loved us. So let's put those two realities together. God loves us first and other people love us first. We are all on the receiving end. We are all recipients and we are all dependent on others' love. We are all recipients of love. We're dependent on love, every one of us. And as we grow up, all of us need to learn how to love others back, how to reciprocate, how to show others love, and how to show love to God. We have to learn to love people, and we have to learn to love God. That's a universal truth. By that, I mean it's true for everyone. And with this in mind, let's go back to the idea, is everything that happens the will of God? That's the question that we're going to be looking at as we're reading in scriptures. And as we prepare to 
to uh, look specifically at this week's Torah portion, we're going to look at some other scriptures first that I think will help us um, consider this more carefully. The first is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, As he went along, Yeshua saw a man who was blind from birth. Yeshua's disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Yeshua, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Okay, so let's take a moment and recognize this. The disciples are wanting the answer to a serious question. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Or another way of saying it, someone sinned. That's why this happened. That's the effective cause of this tragedy. And yet, Yeshua says it's not because of sin. That's not the explanation. It's not because of sin. That's not the cause. Rather, he says, there is a fix for the blindness, and the fix will bring glory to the Lord. Or another way of saying it um, is a rather statement. Uh, Here's what's about to happen. God will get glory from what's about to happen. You see, the disciples are thinking that one of these parties, either the parents or the the child who has now grown up, um, they must have sinned. That's why the person was born blind. They're focusing on the cause. And Yeshua says, the cause is not the issue, and it's not because of someone's sin. But he turns their attention to an outcome that God will bring forth. God will get glory in this. And so if if you read on further in chapter 9, you will see that Yeshua heals this man. And it is something that brings glory and honor and um, incredible effect because it's such an amazing thing. But he's turning the attention, Yeshua is turning the attention of his disciples away from the question they're asking, because they're asking as if they need to understand the cause, and the cause must be someone's sin. And then there's another passage in Luke chapter 13, verse 4, where it seems like uh, people are thinking the same kind of, of thoughts, that it must be because of sin that a certain tragedy happened. And Yeshua asked this, what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? And Yeshua is pointing to this event that is familiar to everyone as the catastrophe of the fall of the tower in Siloam. And, and he's saying, it's not because the people who died there were specially wicked people. It's not because of their sin. And Yeshua is pointing 
to something, that some ter terrible things happen in this broken world, but it's not because of individual guilt or because of the will of God. It wasn't the will of God to punish these people because they're guilty of something terrible. So, so what do we learn from this? We have to learn to think a little differently. We have to understand that people are in a broken world and terrible things happen, but it's not because of individual guilt or it's not because this is what God wants to happen. So what do we learn to say to people who are suffering? We, we can tell them that God suffers with them. I I feel your pain. You've probably heard that. It can be a cliche, but it can be more than that. Now, with this in mind, I, I want to look at Pharaoh for a moment because he has a heart condition. He is hard-hearted. And like other pharaohs before him, he views himself as a god, and he views the god of Israel as a nobody. He views the people of Israel as nobodies. They don't deserve his attention or his goodwill. Why should he do what the God of Israel says? Why should he care what the God of Israel wants? He doesn't care. Pharaoh is the spiritual center of the cosmos as far as Egyptians are concerned. He is the manager of their universe. The good life for Egyptians depends on Pharaoh. Whenever the natural universe or the social order are working well for the Egyptians, that means to them that Pharaoh deserves the credit. Pharaoh is not afraid of the God of Israel. He doesn't have the fear of the Lord. He has no respect for the God of Israel. He doesn't hold him in awe. Pharaoh doesn't care what the God of Israel wants. Pharaoh ignores the will of God, the will of the God of Israel. He, he does his own will. He does what he wants. And that is a big mistake. Pharaoh was hard-hearted, and God was not pleased with Pharaoh or Pharaoh's heart condition. Exodus 8 verse 15 speaks of this. When Pharaoh saw there was relief, however, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said earlier. And this is speaking about a plague that the Lord said would come and that Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh about and warned him, and the plague did come. And then Pharaoh begged for relief, and there was relief. And then as soon as the relief came, he hardened his heart again, and he wouldn't pay attention. And the Lord was taking note of this. The Lord was aware of the condition of Pharaoh's heart. He allowed that, and that was not what the Lord wanted for Pharaoh, but that's what Pharaoh wanted. Exodus 8.13 speaks of another situation. Pharaoh hardened his heart this time as well, and he would not let the people of Israel go. And so we learn something in this. There are pharaohs in this broken world. At least there are people with pharaoh-type hearts who have hard hearts. And for a time, they may defy the will of God, but they cannot successfully continue to defy the will of God. The God of Israel was judging the religious system and the worldview of Egypt, including pharaoh. 
And there were two sides to his judgment that I want to emphasize. One side was to show Egypt that Pharaoh was not really a god. And the other side was to show Israel that Pharaoh wasn't a god. And the ultimate goal that God had, the ultimate purpose that he wanted to accomplish, was to set Israel free in order to serve him. And that would move God's great purposes forward. It would move God's covenant with Israel forward. And it would demonstrate to Israel that God is a redeemer and that he is able to fulfill the promises that he makes. Now, I want to look at a um, an observation from the from last week's Torah portion and its connection to this week's. Last week we read in Torah that um, it's in Exodus six nine that Moses said to the people of Israel all that God promised to do to set them free, but they would not listen to him because they were so discouraged and their slavery was so cruel. You see, the people were brokenhearted. They weren't hard-hearted. They were brokenhearted. They were discouraged. And because of that, they couldn't heed what Moses was saying about the Lord's plan to rescue them. And it was connected to the slavery that was cruel. And I want you to remember that the promise of redemption and freedom, that promise that Moses first brought to the children of Israel when he came back to Egypt, it was initially met with great enthusiasm. But then, because of the cruelty of the Egyptian taskmasters and Pharaoh, and their whole system of slavery and forced labor. And because of the worsening conditions, things got worse, not better. The people were not able to respond with such enthusiasm. That's what Exodus 6-9 is mentioning, that there were reasons for this. The people, uh, they, they lost hope, if you will, because things just got worse and worse. During the nine plagues, the first nine plagues, the faith and enthusiasm of the people waxed and waned. Sometimes it, it got stronger. Other times it was weak. It just, um, it, there was some inconsistency, inconsistency. But I want to notice something. When the 10th plague was announced, there was a definitive change, and all the people were ready to act in obedience. All the people of Israel were ready to act in obedience and faithful adherence to very detailed instructions that they were given. And this week we read about the 10th plague and what God says he will do and what God says the people must do. And that is in this week's Torah portion, Parshat Bo in Exodus 12, verse 21, in the next few verses, which we'll read, it says this. And then Moses called for all the leaders of Israel and said, select and take lambs for your families and slaughter the Pesach lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop leaves, dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, and smear it on the two sides and the top of the doorframe. And then none of you is to go out the door of his house until morning, for Adonai will pass through. 
to kill the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and on the two sides, Adonai will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and kill you. You are to observe this as a law, you and your descendants forever. And so there's something really important here. The Lord is saying what he's going to do. He announces that to the children of Israel through Moses and gives very detailed instructions, very detailed instructions that involve the lamb, the blood on the doorposts, uh, the timing of everything, what, what the people are to do. And also, a very specific description of what the Lord is going to do, that the Lord is coming and he is going to slay the firstborn of the Egyptians. However, the Lord will be working in a very specific way. He will look for the blood of the Pesach lamb that is on the doorposts of the children of Israel who take to heart and put into practice what the Lord says to do. And he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and kill you. And so this elaborates something about what Pesach means um, and what Passover means. Passover, in this case, doesn't mean to skip over, to avoid the um, house of the children of Israel, but rather to um, come and protect the children of Israel. And it tells us something about the mechanism or the way that God is working. The destroyer is coming to the land, the angel of death, if you will. And the Lord is going to stand between the children of Israel and the destroyer, house by house. That's what's going to happen. And so now the people of Israel are ready to heed what Moses told them from the Lord. It involved all those very specific details. And the children of Israel took to heart what God was going to do, and they were ready to do the will of God. They learned to do what God wanted. Their hearts had become ready to learn and to do. They were fulfilling that prayer in Psalm 143, verse 10, that was later written, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. You see, they were now ready to learn and to do the will of God. That is such an important detail for all of us. There are certain things that God wants to happen that require that we learn to do what he wants, that we learn not just what he wants, but to do what he wants us to do. And here's the other side. God was ready to do something unprecedented. He would take this people out of slavery and out from the dominion of the Egyptian religious and political and social system. And in this way, the Lord would be honored and glorified. God would have the final word. His purposes would be fulfilled. God's sovereignty would be affirmed and his people would exercise their free will 
to learn and to do the will of the Lord. And in this way, what's broken in this world can be fixed. And the good news of the Lord can actually be experienced. So there are things that happen that aren't what God wants to happen. They're not the will of God. This world has been made in such a way where it is possible for people to go against the will of God or not do the will of God. We have to learn to do the will of God. We have to practice it, and we have to keep learning. We have to keep our hearts clean before the Lord and set on the Lord. And you know, when we turn to the Lord and we accept Yeshua, one of the things that God is looking for is our hearts. He wants our hearts to be turned to him where we want to do the will of God. And when we're not doing the will of God, you know what? We want to want to. And so we acknowledge that. We don't want to just get away with what we can. We don't want our will to be the final word in everything. We want our will to line up with God's will. What does that require? It requires that we draw close to the Lord, that we abide in him, that we allow his word to abide in us. And then we can ask what we will, and it will be done to the glory of the Father. And then we're not always trying to assign blame for every tragedy that happens, or we're not just saying, well, that's the will of God, or that must be what God wants, or everything that happens is the will of God. No, we have to learn to do the will of God. We have to learn to do what God wants us to do. And I hope that we can be strong in that. I hope we will grow in this because that's what's in our heart. And that's what it means to be real disciples of the Lord and to be real disciples of Yeshua, the Messiah. In a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing and a final worship song. But first, would you consider a generous contribution? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. And now Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.